Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 85. Yep, I'm busting these out pretty quickly these days because I have gotten so many great emails and questions and listener inquiries and coaching inquiries and all kinds of um, updates and insights from all of you, whether you're my athletes or listeners. And again, it's um, <laughs> I was laughing the other day because Emily had pointed out to me um, that I have a lot of these emails in my inbox. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting a lot of feedback on the podcast. And she said, well, that's what you ask for every week. So of course you're going to get them. So yes, I appreciate that. And thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories with me, your insights with me, sharing your questions with me and allowing me and giving me the trust and um, opportunity to add my two cents to what I love to see everybody, especially listening, trying to incorporate this lifestyle and this training and this health and fitness and daily process and habits and discipline and perseverance and overcoming in our busy lives these days in order to find some time for training, find some time for yourself and find some time to make you your machine called your body, your most important tool that you have, mind and body. If your body doesn't work, but your mind is sharp, you will be so frustrated. And if your body is sharp, but your mind is not, um, you will also be frustrated. So let's take care of both of them in some way, in some form. And training and fitness, and especially endurance training, is a super, super successful, healthy, proven way for longevity and for overall health of mind, yes, uh, mind for sure, and body. Um, just the other day, I was listening to an older podcast of Outside Magazine. They have a podcast and they were talking there about athletic longevity. And, you know, I turned it off quite honestly about halfway through just because it's the concepts we keep talking about. Not training too hard on easy days and too easy on hard days, differentiating your training being consistent with it, not doing too much or going too hard every day, but and listening to your body and all those little things that we talk about. So I'm not the only one and continue to do it. But this week, real simple. We're going to just do a bunch of listener questions. I have so many here, but there's a couple things I wanted to follow up on. One is many of you have asked to be on the podcast with regards to the um, listener check-in and questions and doing it live. I've done two now in a row, and I'm going to take a little break, not months, but a couple weeks, two, three weeks, to just to get through some of the questions here on the emails that I wanted to respond to and get back to people. Secondly, um, I think it's important that um, I continue to discuss, discuss the bigger training tips and seasonal aspects that we're going into Kona in a few weeks, that we're starting the preseason for many in for a few weeks, that we're um, also building our schedule for 2019 now in a few weeks. And so I want to continue to stay relevant with those topics. And um, the other thing I talk about this week, and it's you know sort of my... Like I've described in the past, my little sermon, 
my own little tangent that I'm going off on, um, not in a negative way, but just sort of out of care for all of you. And that is the main topic of understanding that we need to create a finish line, that we need to complete um, one adventure, one goal, one desired outcome before right away moving into the next one or um, avoiding the tendency to shift the finish line, the goal, the outcome as we get fitter and no longer feel that that outcome is something worthwhile achieving or um, as pertinent still or as um, current and therefore not getting closure and understanding what it means to finish one goal and recognize it and celebrate it. So that's one of the first things I talk about this week because it's difficult and those there are obstacles and really difficult things to navigate if we don't create that closure, if we don't create a fixed finish line for our goals, if we don't create um, an opportunity for our brain to rebuild a new task, goal, desired outcome, and what kind of difficulties can come about with that. So I thought it would be a good time to talk about that. And then it's just listener questions, all kinds of listener questions. We go into training, to mindset, to nutrition, to injuries, to types of shoes, all that. So I tried to bust out a bunch of them without this podcast being too long. All right. I hope you enjoy this podcast. For those of you that are newer, welcome. This is a podcast that just has me talking most of the time and trying to help you become better endurance and ultra endurance athletes. It's a podcast that is free. <laughs> there is no advertisement. There is no promotion. I'm not looking to get anything out of it other than sharing with you. And I've been blessed um, most of my life to have been given a lot of information and a lot of insights and people who have been willingly um, sharing their knowledge with me and that's what this is just another way to continue to pass that along <clears throat> I, I read something along the lines the other day about knowledge is nothing if you're not sharing it if you're not handing it on to the next person who takes that nugget of knowledge and applies it and then hopefully they pass it on and so forth and that's the true power of knowledge is sharing it and so I hope that this podcast helps all of you that are newer to um, grow in that aspect from self-discovery and self-growth to also your um, athletic self and its growth. So, And those of you who have been longtime listeners, thank you and welcome back. And I'm glad you're still part of the format because... Um, yeah, we jump off onto all kinds of tangents here, and I hope the information is still relevant for you. So enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you. I came across an email and a conversation with an athlete of mine that really stuck with me and that I wanted to share more about, not because of um, the person themselves, but more because of the dilemma, the difficulties <clears throat> this athlete is struggling with. And the reason I bring it up is because it actually brings up 
an area of our lifestyle, of our sport, of our endeavors that makes this all complicated besides all the other things that makes this sport, this lifestyle, these endeavors complicated. But I have a lot of athletes and many of us have come into ultra endurance sports and endurance sports as a sort of second wave in life of either returning to being an athlete from being an athlete when you were younger, high school, college, so forth, to identifying for the first time to what it's like to be an athlete, to being, sorry, to be an athlete. And that, what I mean by that is maybe due to past history or past lifestyle choices or past difficulties, um, you might not have been an athlete before. And I say you because I was not in this situation, so I can't speak to, um, it, it, can't speak to it in the form of a we. But what I've observed is what ties back into some of our earlier discussions on the podcast with regards to goals and desired outcomes. And let me try to tie this all together because this is a difficult topic to address um, fairly for many of you athletes. And again, it, it's very powerful for me to say the word athletes because of what I respect about many of you have taken on becoming an athlete, not the um, statue of David type of athlete of where you're this chiseled, perfect, um, athletic looking person. But what I've talked about so much about the mindset of being an athlete, the care of being an athlete, um, thinking about it in the right way of being an athlete, the consistency that you show with wanting to progress day after day of being an athlete. Um, you know, what we've talked about earlier in these podcasts, what have you done today to accomplish your goals and your outcomes? All that is part of being an athlete and having a future outcome in mind of how you want to be. And so that actually is a good transition to um, what I'm trying to say, how you want to be. Many of you, many of us, um, have lost either a lot of weight or have overcome some difficulties in our lives, whether it's addiction or other difficulties, divorce. Um, I've coached athletes where they've trained because they've lost a child, things like that. I mean, I, like I said, this is very meaningful to me. And I take great care in not only being sensitive to this with regards to my athletes, but also with regards to what they bring to the table. Everybody has their own story. And I would never want to take that away from anybody on their reasons for how come. Because it's already amazing and so respectable that you, the athlete, has overcome something, have done something consistently, have made a lifestyle change to become this athlete, to become the person you are today. But what happens with that and why it becomes difficult and why the area gets, it works into a gray zone. And that is when you've transformed yourself, when you've embraced a new lifestyle, when you have um, moved from being 
one type of person. And please don't misunderstand that I'm trying to label anything. Just I'm just saying it for what it is. And here you are an athlete and you've seen some physical changes or you've seen some mental changes or you've seen also some spiritual changes because of the lifestyle you've chosen or all three, right? All three combined. We also need to pause and reset, recalibrate what our outcomes are from here. And what I mean by that is because we've changed so much about ourselves and how we see the world and how we treat ourselves and how we forgive ourselves with regards to maybe past um, um, turmoil we've put our body through or bad choices or whatever it is or, or things we've overcome, we cannot continue to move our future outcome, our goal, our finish line, um, as we progress along being an athlete. Because that becomes difficult. If we're constantly then looking to get leaner, fitter, stronger, um, it becomes an ever moving goal. And we never really truly appreciate when we reach a goal, reset, stop, recalibrate and think about, okay, what is truly my next desired outcome? What is the healthiest, most consistent, joyful, motivated way for me to go along a path, a journey, an adventure, an exploration, a curiosity towards my next goal, towards my next adventure, towards my next desired outcome? If we never define that properly from a truly intrinsic way to understanding here we are now, and what is truly the next finish line I can reach? It's important for us to reach finish lines. I say this because I've experienced it myself, but I see it so often in athletes that the finish line shifts as they get closer to the finish line. It went to participating in an Ironman to now wanting to be top 25% in an Ironman to then wanting to be top 10 in the age group in an Ironman, to then wanting to qualify for Kona, but yet never celebrating, resetting, recalibrating, stopping once one goal is achieved and really thinking through and processing and rewarding ourselves and accepting and recalibrating our perspective of our whole world around us when we've reached a finish line, when we've reached a specific goal. And if we're constantly charging forward to something, even if that means, you know, qualifying for, let's say, Kona, or if that means achieving that 100-mile run, or if it means, you know, not even achieving because that, that's a, a finish line. Um, but you know what I mean with regards to not um, celebrating when we've reached a certain point it becomes this ever-moving finish line. And we will never be satisfied, complete, wholesome with regards to what we're achieving and what we're actually doing. And recognizing the people and our surroundings around us who are with us on that journey. And also for our body and our spirit and our soul and our health to stop and reset and reevaluate and rethink 
and relook inside to say, okay, now that I've achieved this, now that I'm here, now that I'm healthy, now that I'm fit, now that I've taken care of my body, this machine, and I'm pretty much in a place that I said I wanted to achieve three years ago, 18 months ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, stop for a moment. And I'm not saying it's hard to express what, what I mean by stop, but it's more about recognizing that you have achieved a finish line and then without much thought, move the finish line onward to now, well, that, uh, um, that's, I, I have achieved that now, and now I'm, I want to be fitter, stronger, faster, smarter, right? No, instead, reset. I've achieved what I said forth to 18 months ago, let's say, and I have achieved that goal, and I'm going to stay here for a bit. And I'm going to enjoy this for a bit. Doesn't mean stop. Doesn't mean get unhealthy. Doesn't mean give up. Doesn't mean take 10 steps backwards. I'm just saying staying there, staying steady for a bit, staying quiet and still for a bit with regards to momentum and accepting that the accomplishment of what you had initially set out to do, what my example 18 months ago, is now here and recognize the finish line. Because we've all heard that if you continue to move the finish line, or if you continue to want to accumulate more achievements, then you will never reach a point of satisfaction, of wholeness, of completeness, of joy, of fulfillment, that you've reached the goal, because you keep moving the goal. And I deal with this a lot, back to why I started this, with regards to athletes and people in the ultra-endurance world. It becomes very addicting, rewarding to see yourself get fitter, stronger, to be able to run over longer distances, to feel yourself with the ability to run four, five, six, seven hours over terrain in beautiful countryside, to cycle for hours, right? And then to take that fitness and then just say, well, now I want to do this and go further and longer. It's fine, but set a specific outcome, a specific timeline or a specific result in mind for you so that then you can achieve and feel complete that you are closing off that piece of your success again. And what I mean also by that from a health perspective or an image perspective or a body conscious perspective Many of you have reached an incredible, incredible success point with whether it's losing weight or reducing cholesterol or just getting healthier and eating smarter, going plant-based, whatever it is, and then hitting a point of saying, wow, this is awesome and I am so happy to be here. And now what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me now that I'm here? How have my values changed? How has my perspective changed? How am I impacting those loved ones and people around me in my daily life? Because I am a different person. I have different habits. I have different routines. I have a different perspective. I have different value um, perspectives on a lot of things, whether it's how I eat or how I live or how my day unfolds or my routines or my weekends. Right? That's a lot of my. And there's people around us 
who absolutely love and support and believe in the new you, in the athlete you. But it's also nice to cross that finish line, cross that tape, right? Have it hit your chest, feel that achievement, exhale, let go for a little bit, not let go of fitness or health, but I'm saying let go of the, the focus and the stress you put on yourself, which, is, which it is, and soak it in for a while whether that's a few weeks or a few months. And it, again, it's about maintaining then versus trying to get better or lose more or get faster or progress further in the age group or you know, reduce my pace in this or get stronger, you know, all those things. Instead, just stay at that pace or stay at that body composition or stay at that training load that maintains it or stay at that running distance per week or something like that so that you actually can catch yourself and think about, all right, what do I truly want next? Because a lot of times, and this is something I've talked to my athletes about, it's actually the emotion, the feelings of training are the reason why we keep training, not necessarily the outcome, not necessarily the goal. And so what happens there is that we keep chasing that feeling good every day. And then we reach the goal and it we don't want to stop the feeling. It's not about the goal. It's about the daily dose of feeling good. And while I can respect that and I totally get it because I'm in that place myself, I enjoy to train every day. I enjoy to do something active, healthy, fit, endurance-based every day. It does make me feel better and dopamine and so forth and less anxiety and stress and impatience and of course, all that, of course. But it's also a time currently, for example, for me, where for the next few weeks, maybe even two months, I'm on a very light load. I know future stresses and builds are coming, but right now I'm spending time on different things and different parts of the three-legged stool. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with that. It's just more that I'm trying to highlight that currently I'm doing what feels good every day, but I'm not chasing a feeling of achieving more, of getting better, of receiving a validation, whether it's intrinsically or externally, of I am getting fitter, stronger, better. Because the other aspect here to keep in mind is feelings don't motivate you. When you have to get up in the morning or when you have to do the super hard sessions or when you're super fatigued and tired and you're in a big training phase, feelings wear out. Feelings wear out. Chasing feeling good wears out because you've had so much of it in a row that now fatigue overloads and suppresses the feeling good. You don't feel necessarily vibrant, alive, alert, creative, um, and, and uh, um, adventurous with, with regards to the workouts. You actually feel labored. You have to use a lot of energy to get out the door. You're fatigued, you're in a fog. And while that's occasionally okay for two, three days, then the training, if it goes beyond that without some recovery, again, mini resets there, 
then things become laborious and negative. And, the in, and usually that's our body's way of signaling us of you, you got to pay attention. There's something else going on here. It's our subconscious sending us signals in a variety of different ways, physically, mentally, spiritually, that we're too tired. We're in a fog. We need to reset. And I get emails from people where it's like, I'm just exhausted. I'm demotivated. I don't want to train anymore. Absolutely. That's totally a realistic outcome. And that's usually a time where we either stop, reset, take a couple days, keep a couple weeks, depends on what the event is they're getting ready for, right? You can't take, can take a month off when you have a race in six weeks, your A race, whatever it is. But again, each situation is different, but we need to listen there. And for those in that situation with regards to chasing the emotions every day just because it feels good but i'll just put an event on the calendar just to justify why i'm doing a daily training and trying to get better and stronger and fitter and faster because i'm chasing that feeling and that emotion every day we want it to be the other way around right we want the joy of training the feeling alive the looking forward to my self-care time every day the growth and the perspective to stay intact daily because not only because of the goal, but because you have reached a few finish lines and your body knows that it gets a not only a reset button, but it gets the kudos and the, the joy and the accomplishment sense when reaching a finish line, when reaching a goal. And don't get me wrong, I believe long-term goals are a bit dangerous to chase because of what I'm exactly talking about with regards to, here it is, regards, um, with um, long-term goals is because, like I said earlier, we're often different people in 12 months, 18 months. Our life changes too much. Life has this ebb and flow of different priorities and different perspectives and different responsibilities and different actions that come in and out from kids to career to projects to life to social life to our body and our health and our injuries and so forth that in your goal in two years from now might while it is a totally valid and exciting and fires you up goal and it really is on the outer edge outer edge of what you thought you were capable of and all the criteria match in two years a lot can happen I've had athletes where in two years they have had a goal, right? And next thing you know, they met a girlfriend and they got married and they had a child. Like, okay, that goal has definitely shifted, right? You can't look at it. You're a different person prepping for that four or five months out than you were when you started two, three, two, three years out. And so it's important to keep those goals in mind, to keep those finish lines in mind. And as we get older and have more responsibility and different changes in our lives, maybe those goals are shorter term and they're not quite as substantial so that when we hit those, we take the reset button and we recognize the accomplishment on our changes and who we are in the now. I guess that's what I'm saying. Recognize who you are in the now as you've accomplished and you reach those interim goals and recalibrate and reset 
really make sure that the support network and the people as well as your own body, your own body is a support network, right? For what your brain has envisioned it can do and wants to do. Check that support network too. Is it healthy? Can I sustain this? Or should I just maintain this for a while? Should I just stay here for a while? And then see how my body responds and my schedule responds and my family responds and my loved ones respond and my social life responds and my work life responds. And then I can reassess in the now of who I am now, leaner, fitter, smarter, stronger, all that versus who I was in my example 18 months ago. And so that I think is very important to remember for all of us. I need to remember it a lot too. Right? I had worked um, many years with regards to winning my age group in Kona. That was my finish line. And the last two, three years of getting to Kona, of being so close, second and third, I knew I could win it. I, it was not a question if I would win it. It's a question of when I would win it. And people would ask me, well, how come you haven't won it yet? And how can you be so certain? Well, I just had known that I'd done so many years that I was the fittest person in my age group there. And if I just execute the way I need to execute and nothing uncontrollable happens on race day, I will win. And I know that sounds pretty cocky, but I just, I sensed it. I knew it. I'd observed it. I'd been in the arena enough and I'd known. I'd seen it. I'd closed in on the finish line enough on the rest of the field to know that I just need to set myself upright to do it, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, but then I hit that point. I hit the finish line. I stood on top of the podium and knew I'm going to reset from this. I'm going to take a couple years off of Kona and Ironman triathlon. Now I've done uh, one since Kona. That was three years ago. Uh, yeah, almost four, yeah, three years ago, I've done one Ironman and that was in, in prep for Ultraman, thinking that I was going to do Ultraman. And I did one half Ironman. That's it. And they were both serving a cause of doing a different event. I currently have no finish line. I have a definition of why I do what I do and what keeps me motivated. But I don't have anything that is going to put a tax on my current life. And that is going to come. There will be another finish line, clear objective that will require that calibration. But until then, I'm fully immersed in what who I am now. And I want many of my athletes to feel the same. Accept who you are now. Let's set a specific goal. Let's achieve it short term goal, right? Nothing too long, because I don't want you to be a different person. Once you've achieved that goal, that it's no longer a goal of interest or a reality for you based off of your future self. And let's achieve that. And then when we achieve that, let's recalibrate. Let's celebrate that. Let's see that for what it is. I set forth 18 months ago to reach this goal. I reached this goal. And look at how great and happy and healthy and strong and what kind of a different perspective I have now. And that's exciting. That right there is the accomplishment. That's the journey that you feel good to be on, right? That's the one that gets you up at 4 a.m. in the morning to get your outcomes achieved. Not because it feels good, 
Motivation is a weird, weird, fickle um, thing because it only gets you so far, far because it ties into emotion. But discipline and a specific path and a framework and a structure towards how you're getting there and achieving it with specific objectives and mile markers and time specific is a different story because your brain can also envision the path. It can see the path. It can understand the next steps. It can see yourself fulfilling the goal too. When we're too vague on our future outcomes, you can't put yourself into that position of what it looks like when you are achieving that goal what it looks like to live out that moment and that achievement and that goal. I wrote something down here the other day. What do I want to remember during the race? I wrote down, what do I want to remember during the race? Yeah, but I like this. What do I want to remember after the race? What do I want to remember of what it was with regards to the journey and my crossing the finish line and doing the event that I then remember after the race. So not only putting a vision of yourself out there of how you plan to execute the race and achieve what you've set forth to achieve, but then who do I wanna be and what do I wanna remember from this journey along with the race, along with the outcomes? What do I wanna remember after? Do I wanna remember um, negative emotions and difficulties and not being motivated? Or do I want to remember a positive growth-related momentum journey? And I don't know if I'm saying that right. Do I want to remember how I felt powerful and strong and fit and connected and I executed well and I felt good about my strategy and it unfolded the way I had envisioned? Do I want to remember that after? And afterwards, do I want to remember myself crossing that finish line, feeling good, feeling accomplished, feeling proud, and feeling closure to stop, not stop being fit and healthy, but stop the drive and the forward progress for a while to say, kudos to me. I've accomplished this and I, I, it's worth celebrating. It was a hard goal to achieve. I put a lot forth in the journey to achieve it. And now I'm going to celebrate it and give myself that closure. You guys get what I'm talking about. I hope that that helps you go through your own progression, understand where we are with regards to who we want to become, but also celebrating who we are now. And don't move that finish line further out and further out. And I, I apply that whether an endurance and an, an ultra endurance lifestyle that we're talking about here, but that could be in wealth accumulation, that can be in job position and, and title, you know, or in the size of your house or whatever it is, right? If you're going to say, I am going to be comfortable with $10 million in the bank, and then when you get there, are you going to be satisfied or are you going to shift that finish line? Am I happy with once I have that car, that size house, or am I going to shift that finish line further out? Well, 10 million feels good, but now that I'm in the 10 million space, 
actually, I am a different person and I understand that I actually need 25 million. Well, now you just keep moving that finish line and chasing. Now that I have that awesome luxury sports car, it's great, but now I need another car because the luxury sports car only feels good up until a certain 18 months later, I want a new car. And then that lasts for 12 months and then I want another new car. Or that car is only good for this terrain and I like to do this as well. So I need, you're constantly moving the finish line, the outcome. I'll be, have made it. I'll have achieved success in this sport if I qualify for Kona. Well, now that you've qualified for Kona and you've gotten there, now what? Uh-oh. Well, I want to go back and be better, stronger, fit. That's fine. That's totally fine. I did the same. I didn't start in this sport saying I want to win Kona. But when I got there, I made sure I celebrated that success. And I stayed there for a while. And I was just a Kona qualifier for a while. And I went back a couple of years and played in the middle of the pack. And then I set a new goal of saying, you know what? I think there's a reality here of being in the top five in the age group in Kona. And so that took a couple of times. And then that was achieved. And it was like, all right, well, now that I'm top five, I'm going to, then I went pro for a couple of years. Because, that, you know, I got sort of, guided into that. That's a different story for a different podcast. But there was still a reset button. There was still a recalibration. I had achieved what I'd set out to do. And I was happy with that. And I stopped I actually went into ultra running at that point. Then I said, Well, I have some unfinished business. I've been third, I've been fifth, I've been seventh, I've been sixth, I've been fourth, <laughs> I've been second, <laughs> I've been every position in the top 10 in Kona. Um, I sort of am missing one of those numbers. Right? And so, again, breaking that up. And, okay, that works for me. And that has been working for me in, in, in my world. And that it does not mean it works for everybody. But all I'm saying with this is look at your finish line. Understand that you need to celebrate your achievements and who you are now in the now after going on your journey. And then take on the next chapter, take on the next finish line, take on the next achievement, take on the next goal that's on the outer boundary of what you thought you were capable of. Because what you think you're capable of now is different than what you thought two years ago, five years ago, 18 months ago. I'm going to add one more thing with regards to the topic of closure and understanding our finish line. And that is, I just spent some time on a longer trail run thinking about the topic that I recorded earlier today. And it came to me also that we want to have that closure, that finish line, because how do we reset in order to become better, to become stronger, to put in more training, to recommit, to find that energy again, not only to continue on, but to reach another level, a further distance, a new normal, Right? If we're talking about setting new boundaries and not boundaries, new goals on the outer edge of what we thought was we were capable, we need some separation for our mind, for our body, our motivation, and our subconscious to really understand, I completed the first part. I completed the past journey. And now 
I'm going to take some rest before I take on a new level, better, stronger, faster, smarter, further, right? More stress on the body, more stress on our, our personal environment, more overload, right? And so if we don't have that, if there isn't this, if there's always just this continuous momentum towards the next goal, the motivation, and I already said it is fickle, truly that well will run dry because it can't differentiate between the new adventure and the past adventure. It just all feels the same. And on the one hand, I talk about habits and daily routines and discipline, but the ability to refresh, to restart, has a big bearing on how our mind processes goals and then how we have the energy, the vigor, that sort of internal flame to push to a new level. And so closing off that previous goal, completing it, having closure, celebrating that finish line is a big part of that. And we all want to be better. We all want to grow. We want to have a better result if possible, if we're on that measuring stick, right? Or if we're trying to reach a higher level or a further distance or a better result or a new adventure, we're not stagnant. And so from that, after we've maintained ourselves and committed to and figured out our new adventure, our new goal, our new outcome, we'll hopefully be fresh enough in mind and spirit and body to take it to that next level. I have a lot of emails stacked up in my inbox and most of them are sitting there because they're listener questions. Many of you have emailed me some really insightful, thoughtful, detailed questions that you were hoping to hear me answer on the podcast maybe, or in some cases maybe hoping to hear from me in writing you back with a thoughtful response. The challenge for writing back a thoughtful response is one, it doesn't capture the tone and the care that I have for most of these questions because I, I realize that you, the person writing them, put some time and thought into it. But it also doesn't benefit the bigger picture, bigger group, all of you, and puts me more into a position of one-on-one -on -one questions versus discussing them here on the podcast where we can sort of create more color and understanding and more ideas around some of the questions and troubles that these emails highlight. So what I want to do this week is I just want to try to get through as many as I can here without rushing through it, but also keeping in mind that I do want to address some of your questions that I've received because not that they're time sensitive, but I know that you care to hear a response and it makes a difference with how you're going about your training for these next few weeks. So let's jump right in. The first one I received, and I will read some of them, I will try to keep them pretty anonymous, but it might be a he or a she, or it might be a first name or so forth. Um, but I think most of them I've kept because they are valuable for the podcast. And so I will uh, read some of them and others. I will just talk about a broad topic of the, the um, email question. But in this case, it's somebody who's injured. 
and they have what sounds like a high hamstring tear plus a great deal of inflammation on the ischial tuberosity. Told by the ortho to cease all training involving hamstring until inflammation could die down, resume PT October 4th, so in about two weeks. Even worse was told no running for three to six months. I pulled out of Ironman Chattanooga, which I've been training for for the past year. The ban on running hurts even worse. I used to I've used running as the only me time for so long. It's my therapy. I agree. I get it. I can swim, core, even bike as long as this doesn't hurt. Nothing replaces running though. And biking felt a little iffy two weeks ago. Even then, it's a distant second. And now let's get into the meat of it. I have no energy. I'm moody. I even think my blood sugar is out of whack because of this sudden lifestyle shift. I cannot, cannot wait to start back, but I know I must rehab. What do you tell your athletes to do when they can't do anything? Someone said to treat it as part of training, but it's not very rewarding. What do I tell my athletes? Well, first of all, I shift the perspective here in that it's a rewarding time in many cases because it highlights how much this means to us. And it's important, as I spoke earlier on this podcast, as well as in many previous podcasts, is taking a step back and understanding what this is all about. It's our daily self-care, as we've talked a lot about. It's our daily appreciation for being healthy and fit and feeling alive and connected and de-stressing and getting our blood flowing and our heart rate going. And when it's taken away from us, like an injury, it is a great insight into our personality and our values with regards to what we truly enjoy doing and how meaningful it is to us. And that's the first step, realizing that this is something very, very impactful and meaningful to us every day. And once you are able to run again, Understanding that appreciation and growing from this adversity will be very important because how did this hamstring tear get so far, right? And next time, listening to your body better and understanding how it would feel if you couldn't train and pausing and taking care of it and massage and body care and PT will help you along so that this situation doesn't happen again. That's the most important thing is learning from our mistakes, learning from our experiences, growing from them, putting them behind it, us, um, and then moving on. And so there are a variety of ways, as, you, as you've written, to still train, to still get your heart rate up. But yes, this is part of the process of allowing your body to heal and recognizing in this time that when you do get back to running and you're carefully going to rebuild it, recognizing that you need to listen to your body. Use this time for family, for loved ones, for things that you've wanted to do but put on the back burner, for self-exploration, for reading, for spending time in nature in a different way, for sitting, for taking it in, for being present, for sitting still, for being quiet, 
not being fidgety and using exercise, and I'm not saying this is you, but for I can use it as a sample of people that are out there, using exercise just to fill their time because they can't be still with themselves, can't sit quietly in a room for lack of a better description. Because they're always busy, because they're always um, wrapped in technology or the noise of everyday life. And this has nothing to do with an age bracket. It just is we're always inundated by technology, noise, life, pressures, family, society, work, and so forth. That having this time instead of running and exercising and swimming and core and training to just sit quietly and read or reflect or once you're able to go on a walk, going on a walk and focusing this time for self-growth. The That's the hardest part and it's one of the most mature aspects of being an athlete that knows how to use their time most wisely and that is I know future loads are coming. I know future limits on my schedule are coming. How can I use this current time as wisely as I can in order to prepare myself for that future load? Get ahead at work, get ahead at home, get ahead in personal development, um, get ahead also in the fitness aspect. You know, soon you'll be doing the PT. Soon you'll be doing the water running. Soon you will be doing more core and some strengthening exercises to make sure that that hamstring is firing properly. And doing what you need to do now to set up your body for that. Now, if there is something like blood sugar concerns, it's a great time to focus on nutrition and making sure everything checks out there. Spending time on the blood tests and the analysis and the doctors to make sure that more in a um, um, homeopathic way or um, um, ugh, I'm missing the words for the type of medicine, but um, understanding your nutrition in a, bet, in a different way, um, functional medicine, excuse me. Um, and so all of these are opportunities to make you a better runner, make you more, um, allow you to enjoy your running and be even more grateful for your running in the future. And keep in mind, it could be so much worse. It could be lost forever, right? Shifting that perspective and understanding and using this clarity to highlight how important all this is to you and building a life and a structure and a path forward that will then um, allow you to live out your passion and your enjoyment of running even more. That's what I would say to my athletes. That's how I would position it, and that's how I would have them look at the time. In a few weeks, October 4th, the PT will begin, and those steps will start with um, rebuilding and getting you closer to the day of running again. But for sure, and analyzing and evaluating what it was in the past that you might have overdone it, that brought on the injury, how you're going to avoid it, and how you're going to be a better, smarter, down the road, stronger athlete from it. That's what I would say. All right, so the next question was regarding multi-day 
training. Let's go into this one. Thanks for the great podcast. Been training for grand to grand, and I'm on my way. Grand to grand, by the way, is a um, multi-day stage event in the um, by the Grand Canyon. And it's uh, very similar to the four deserts type of stages, Marathon de Sable stage racing, as well as the one I'm doing in New Zealand in March. And it is uh, self-supported, which means you carry all your food and your supplies and your sleeping gear and your mats and your clothes that you're going to use for the week um, on your back when you while you run every day, usually between uh, 22 and 26, 7 28 miles a day, and then usually there's a um, long march, it's called, a longer stage in there, 50 to 60 miles, and over many days, this is usually anywhere from 160 to 200 miles of running. In this case, it's an, uh, a multi-day event. I think it's seven days. I think for some reason, I, I've looked, I've seen this race as I'd had other athletes do it. Um, so, um, he is getting ready for Grand to Grand Ultra. I'm on my way. This will be my eighth multi-day event. And this person has emailed me before with regards to some Four Deserts insights. And I only get the time every other year. I'm 50 this year, but still hanging in there. That's awesome. A question that, oh, that people always ask me and something you might want to share with others. When doing multi-day races, how to train with pack weight rucking and how to build without in injury. I'm ex-British Army, so it's new. It's not new to me. Something you'll be doing for your next RTP New Ze Zealand, um, RTP Racing the Planet New Zealand. My most enjoyable was the Atacama Crossing in Chile, which um, Hishame is on his way to. Uh, what's today, Tuesday? So he is on his way to start that event this weekend. Um, even though I never had the fitness at the time, it was a true adventure. So, um, yes, it is worth sharing how we will prep and how I will prep with regards to a multi-day, what I call loaded event, um, because you're ca you're carrying um, pack weight, I should say, as he's saying. Um, first of all, strength component becomes a bigger piece. And that's more chassis integrity. Um, first, the core and the stability, upper body, lower back, um, you know, um, hamstrings, glutes, uh, lower back, core, midsection, all that needs to be strong to carry that weight because no matter how good we are with regards to rucking and um, running, combining the two, uh, there is still a slight bent over effect of this, and that will be the first part of that. Um, the second will be first and, and will be always for me and how I apply it to all my athletes is building the fitness and then carrying in the load. So I will build up my running to running comfortably 25 to 30 miles at a time which I would say I'm two, three weeks away from. I just did Attilo a few weeks ago, which was 40 miles of running that day. So um, I'm just using this these few weeks to reset and, and recalibrate and map out my build exactly like um, this listener talks about. And then 
I will quickly be back up to 25 to 30 miles of running probably in two, three weeks at a time, um, not for the week. And then I will start adding weight to that. Now I have a weight vest with multi uh, different um, sand or, or um, metal sand type of uh, weight packs in it. Each of them are uh, vary from two kilos um, to five kilos. So I can use those pieces and put them in my pack that I run with, um, my Patagonia running um, pack that has usually my food and a variety of other things in there. And so that will begin though very lightly because the pounding and extra weight of two to three, four or five or six or seven pounds on the body, on the ankles, on the calves, on the Achilles, on the joints, on the knees, on the hips, on the lower back will quickly add up. So I would want to be very deliberate and gradual in that approach. And then eventually the strength training will um, shift in its focus as well. The strength training will move from the basic core and stability work more to body weight strength training, vertical climbing speed over ground. So looking for true vertical. Um, and I'm going to do a bunch of endurance work right around that of rucking and continue to work on chassis integrity, um, climbing stamina, um, and continued aerobic base training. That will probably move to the next level, uh, probably in December, where I'll be, I'll be more focused on uh, a different type of strength, and that will be, or a different type of um, stability. Um, it'll be long, easy trail running, continued chassis integrity, gym-based work um, that will work on climbing work as well as um, endurance work. So I know that sounds technical, but because it's winter and there'll be darker days ahead for us here in Northern California, um, the gym will become more uh, an integral part of this. Do I have confidence in my ability to run 25 miles to 50 miles to 60 miles a day over six days? Yes. Um, so the gym-based strength work, the climbing work capacity, the chassis integrity will become the bigger component for me in this case. But in general, I am uh, with any of my athletes, I work on the fitness first, the endurance, the ability to run the distance, and then we start adding the weight to it. And then lastly, we start simulating um, running with weight and close to the weight that we'll be carrying and then simulating that over the distances. I will be doing that as well, where um, Emily and I will probably run to a location, stay there overnight with our pack, um, that being in a hotel or an inn, no need to sleep on the floor or the ground or in a tent in our prep. But then again, running back the next day or even running to another location on day two. We have that ability here where we live and then running home on day three, something like that. We're also not far from the mountains to get our vertical in, although Marin County allows for plenty of vertical in our running as well as we can go up to other locations um, and create different base camps from there. So I'm a big, big, big believer, as many of you know from the podcast, in simulations. 
And so from that, the insights and the applications will go on to the training and the next simulation. But to answer that in a simple format, it's endurance, then endurance plus gradual build in strength with regards to the weight and the load, and then it's simulation, all the while doing specific strength training and chassis integrity that will then help facilitate the body in order to carry that load over six, seven days. So that should be that question. Next question. Um, hey, Chris, your advice many weeks ago on the Weekly Word was fantastic. I did a lot of that. And um, he gives a variety of numbers of how he's improved and gotten stronger. I uh, carefully ramped up my training to get where I'm today, fully recovered and stronger than I was before. The accident, remember he had a broken femur coming back mid-season. It's hard to believe, <clears throat> excuse me, 18 weeks ago I was unable to move. Then he gives me a variety of his training da data and how he feels really strong. This brings me to my question. There has to be extremely valuable information regarding how my body adapts to stress. It has been about 14 weeks of training. That should be enough time to see trends and learn about myself, right? How should I go about looking back at the training I've done to help form the training that I will be doing leading into the next season? Like you said, train where your body is now. So maybe what... I did when my body was broken won't be the same as what I will do in the ramp up for next season. Then again, maybe it is. All right. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is where things get a little gray. Of course, you will not feel the same or see the same numbers of your previous ramp up in the next ramp up. But the relative to where you are now, data will still apply. So what was your zone two 14 weeks ago or how it felt easy? And what was your zone three 14 weeks ago, tempo? And what your threshold work was 14 weeks ago, zone four, will still apply with regards to the ratios and how you want to structure your training for next season. It's just going to be at a higher, faster, stronger, more significant level, right? A pro cyclist, for example, doesn't you know, change their training completely at the end of their season. They re-engage with a similar format, but again, applying their current fitness to that that prescription. And that prescription is a lot of endurance and aerobic base training early in the year, sprinkle in some speed as they progress into the season, and then sprinkle in more race specific time and simulation time and threshold work, depending on the events they're getting ready for as they work into their exact season. Um, so in this case, my question to you would be applying the data of who you are then when you start, whether that is now starting for next season or in a few weeks when you start for next season, who you are in the now then, and then applying those heart rate zones and those insights and those sensations to your building of a foundation towards the next season. The other thing that's um, pretty 
um, clear here is if you are filling out a training journal, a diary, some sort of format that you're capturing how you feel each day, it would be very valuable to go in there and see the workouts that made you feel good and strong and really worked and had a big confidence effect on you or boost on you and continue to build them into your roadmap for the coming weeks so that you can have those check-ins where you see yourself getting better compared over time to the last time you did it. If you still have the same sensations, outcomes, feelings, observations from it, or if you're too tired, or if something's not working, and so forth. So while I use lactate threshold testing for the exact science for a lot of this data, you know, the field testing also helps to validate that we're moving forward, right? Same heart rate, faster pace is what I usually like to dive into after the initial field test, determining a number for the next field test that we'll use. That means that next field test is sort of um, insinuating what we're doing with regards to progress. But then we have the same heart rate number for the following field test to really show that at the same heart rate number, we have dropped significantly in pace. So you want those type of check-ins, but you also want those favorite workouts or those progressions or those big weeks that you might've done in the last buildup, the weeks that really felt good and you really enjoyed. Maybe you do that again and see how your body is in the now versus then, what your growth has been, how you're feeling, if you're maybe overdoing it, if you're progressing the volume too quickly, if you need more speed and intensity and so forth. Um, if you build it properly on your current self, like I said earlier, you should feel good and invigorated and stronger and growing and looking forward to the training. And then that way you can um, see the progress, feel the progress and apply the progress. So that should actually be enough on that. Um, just making sure here, that should be enough to see the trends and learn about myself, correct? Um, how should I go about looking back at the training, that journal, as well as what you've done and how you felt? Like you said, train where the body is now. So maybe what I did when my body was broken won't be the same. It won't be the same, no. And maybe you'll be able to grow a little in the volume and the frequency and so forth because you, you came back gradually. But again, you want to observe all that as you're going along and then still apply the same concepts, though, for what the engine is now. You had a, you know, let's say a 100 horsepower engine 12 weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Now you probably have a 140, 150 horsepower engine. Still doesn't mean you want, you don't want to spend that time um, developing now that 150 horsepower engine, right? With the zone two work like you wrote about and so forth. So, and then as I've discussed on the podcast too, keep in mind that when you run out of your zone two absorbing um, training, right? Where you, you can sense that the more zone two that you're doing, it's not really helping you get fitter, faster, stronger. Um, and you see that with the field tests or typical rides you do or a run that you can measure and compare to past runs over time um, or a swim and so forth, then you might want to start sprinkling more intensity. And that might come at a different phase of your build versus the last one. So 
Every situation is different because of the stress and the load and the training changes and the volume changes and the intensity changes and then the outside stresses on your body as well as the overall accumulated load of um, the big picture effect of our lives in this training. What I mean by that is if you look and say, I've been training at a high level, consistent level for the past three years, but the 10 years prior that I never trained, well, guess what? That on-ramp has been so steep and consistent for so long, it might be time to take that on-ramp, take that increasing line and take a break for a couple of weeks so that everything can reset, recalibrate, rebuild so that your body can get a chance to um, start a new on-ramp at a higher level to reach a higher level. So keep that in mind too. That's I, I talk about that a lot with my athletes on a big picture standpoint. If for most of your life you did a limited amount of training and then the last two, three, four years you've done a big amount of training relative to what you've done in your life, again, we have to allow that also to absorb itself, to sit for a bit before you begin a next two, three year gradual build and volume and overall lifestyle changes and stuff. It's a lot on the body, on this machine, on this engine that we have. All right, so I think I answered. Another option would be to discuss this over Skype for a future podcast. Um, well, I think I answered most of it here. So I think some of this is so cool, getting these questions from all of you, the listeners, but then also, I mean, from all the places in the world they're coming from, which is quite humbling to realize that people are listening all around the world. In this case, somebody from Portugal. Um, first of all, thank, let me thank you for all the valuable information knowledge that your podcast is made of. I'm listening to it for a little more than a year and I don't miss an episode. You're, part, you're partially a training partner on every long run. I get a lot of that. Um, a lot of people have sent me notes saying, you're, you're on a lot of my training runs or rides with me. And I have the same thing for the podcasts that I listen to, um, that those people are in my ear and then I pass certain spots on trail runs or on bike rides where I remember a deep conversation that somebody in the, on a podcast was having in my ear when I passed that spot. And so that tree, that trail, that road triggers a memory of that conversation I was listening to so closely. So it's sort of interesting. Um, your zone two philosophy helped me finish my first road marathon in 238. What? Whoa, 238 marathon, which is an amazing debut time, debut, deb <laughs> amazing first time. Not an English native. So some writing errors may occur. Wow. 238. Holy schmoly. Um, I have two questions. First of all, my marathon pace in the spring was about 3.43 per kilometer. And no, 10 days away from May 8th, oh, 70.3, my first Ironman branded half distance race where I'll try to qualify for third uh, uh, worlds. I find myself struggling even to do three times 15 minutes at 3.45 pace. I maintain my run almost the same 
but my bike and swim, swim went up a lot since May. Nevertheless, running at that pace was easy six months ago. Yeah, running 238. Any thoughts? By the way, my recovery and nutrition are quite fine, and my 70.3 PR is 420 in average conditions. Well, um, it's hard to say here. This is this is a, a lot of um, a load uh, in this question. <laughs> it's a loaded question, for, I should say. I find myself struggling, struggling even to do three times 15 minutes at 3.45 pace. My marathon pace in the spring was 3.43. Well, something out of that means the load of swimming and cycling is A, carrying too much in order to maintain that pace. I don't know if that's at a standalone. Um, and then secondly, it's also a question if there's too much volume in here. What was the volume getting ready for a marathon? Was there more recovery? Was the Z2 having a big effect with regards to allowing the body to actively recover? Because we're talking, if you're running 238, if you're running 240, so you're running 630s for a marathon in miles pace, um, or even faster, sorry, yeah, even faster than 630s, because seven minute miles is a 303, so 26 minutes faster than that would make it a seven a 235, so you're running 610 pace. So in order to run that in um, getting ready for a 70.3, I can see how you would want to hold those numbers, and that's totally fair, and I would also say the same thing. But this is a question of the tax that um, the swim and bike are creating in your training week and in your training phases to not that's taking away from your running legs. Because quite honestly, your running legs should remain quite strong with this type of training because the load of swimming and cycling isn't that fatigued on the, on the running legs with regards to load. But if there's other questions in there with regards to the volume of swimming and cycling and some running, putting it over the top to then maintain the edge of speed, that's where I would probably dive into. There seems to be something in that mix, in your equation, in the way you're jumbling the soup of training that is affecting your running speed, pace, turnover, um, lightness, and stride, and so forth. Because in order to run that fast, you have to be pretty light on your feet, have a great stride length, good turnover. And so something here is affecting that. It might also be that the strength of swimming, upper body, and biking, legs, and glutes, and so forth, might have also added some more uh, muscle weight to your frame, which makes running a little bit different because running again at those speeds, you're pretty lean and light. That's where I would look into. I'm not sure if I answered it because it's it's too much too much too much insight missing there. Second question is about interval training. I've done in the past four and a half months about seven thousand kilometers of cycling. 150 kilometers of swimming and 1200 kilometers of running. Oh, well, that gives us sort of an insight. That's a lot of training. <laughs> um, again, 
it's hard to say, right? Like, so I haven't even finished this question, but going back to the previous question, in the past four and a half months to have done 7,000 kilometers of cycling, so let's say five months, 1,200 kilometers, uh, 1,400 kilometers a month, that's 809, that's a fair amount of cycling, that's a lot of swimming and a fair amount of running, that how is this in your past do, with regards to the load? Have you been doing that type of volume, that type of training from in the past years where you actually have absorbed that and therefore can say this type of volume works? Or is this a huge buildup that's pretty sudden if you think of it on a, on a trajectory of swimming and biking? That's what I would really research there as, as your coach in this case. But most of it was at 90% Z2, 10% Z4, zone 5. Nice. Really separating the two and not being in the gray air. Should I be doing more intensity? I don't think so. If so, can you give me some key sessions for a 70.3? Um, this is hard to say again. This is one of those where I would test the athlete and also want to look at how much they've done in the past because we, we don't know what the mix is that is best for this person. The best um, volume approach, the best type of zone two work. I mean, in order to run a 238 marathon, you're, you're efficiently able to hold threshold for a long period of time because that's such a fast marathon that you are able to run threshold basically for two and a half hours. So your tolerance at threshold and your ability to grit through this is completely different than the average athlete. And so again, I would be looking at what this volume, this mix of volume is doing to your um, energy levels and your ability to be at threshold, whether you need more threshold. Yes, that's a valid question. Um, now the zone two clearly kept you healthy for the road marathon, which even though you wrote your zone two philosophy helped me finish my first road marathon in 238, which is again, crazy to read that, um, is what happens there is that clearly the zone two is working for you to have repetitive training bouts, um, but it also shows that you still maintained your ability your physical and mental connection to threshold, which I don't know how much of that time with uh, marathon training was at zone two and then that threshold, but you have a great ability to stay connected to that because if it was primarily zone two, it's really good to still have that ability to stay mentally, which means um, staying familiar with the pain of threshold for long periods of time and physically um, being familiar with it, which means your body is still efficient in its motions and economical in its motions at that high effort, which is also a practice question. So the fact that you could do that with limited threshold time is a good sign. But again, I would factor that knowledge into how we build your training plan with regards to a 70.3. But I'm sorry, there's not much information in here, but that's what I would look at. I would look at if the volume of my training is too much, 
If the mixture of my training is leading up to my key sessions and my simulation sessions that I can't effectively do them to build my confidence and see the progress, I would probably field test also frequently to make sure the mix of my volume and training is effective because you can overdo the zone two training. If we're talking 7,000 kilometers of cycling, that's about 4,500 miles of cycling. In four and a half months, that's you know 1,000 miles a month. That's a fair amount of cycling consistently, like one month or two months, and then coming off of that and applying that for shorter distance. But that's more Ironman training than it is 70.3 training. I would actually question if you're overtraining for a 70.3, not more but let's try to do it smarter. I really love the podcast, even if though I'm not an ultra endurance athlete yet. I'm sure that will my <clears throat> that will be my path in sports, but for now I want to excel at the shorter distances to have some speed. <clears throat> Excuse me, would love to have more endurance, three to six hour events discussed in the podcast. Yeah, so this has been a hard one to answer, um, but I think I gave you enough food for thought on how to look at this. Excuse me. I think you should look at if you're training too much, I would pull way back and see how higher quality, um, because you've done the volume. So now higher quality, more intense training for shorter periods, as well as less volume, really hopefully catapult, accelerate your performance forward. And you can do the, the speed and the effort you're looking for on the swim, bike, and run. Um, Being able to run a 238 means you should be able to run a 120, 117 on the back end of a 70.3. And that means you are primed to set yourself up for a very, very good 70.3 situation. Um, Now, most of the time, good runners are not that fast swimmers, but maybe you are. So even if we say a 30 minute swim with transition, let's say around 30 minutes, and a 230 bike, um, that puts you at three hours. So yeah, that puts you quite too close to 420 with transition. So we would want to improve that bike for sure. The swim less is less so much, but the bike needs to come down to put you into the 410 range. And that's where I probably focus my work and back off on the volume and really monitor closely how running off the bike is affected by cycling effort. So key session there, for example, would be a three-hour bike ride at a controlled effort nothing too hard, not necessarily super easy, and then running as long as I can that 345 pace off the bike, short transition. Now, if I see after 10K, it falls off, I will then mess with, all right, um, how much easier do I need to cycle in order to maintain that longer? Or um, how much harder can I cycle? Because I held it for 16k off the bike 14k that's plenty in a simulation situation because you're looking to do it for 21k um, and so 
you'll be fine having done it in a, on a training day for 16 kilometers. So that's where I would start messing with the formula, seeing what I need to cycle and then how to achieve that in a better way. I would surely give myself a rest day before the simulation so that I'm fresh. And again, making sure that the volume I'm do doing is not creating training fatigue to never have pr progress and instead be treading water. So I hope that helps. I feel sort of guilty here that I don't have a lot of insight because it's just a lot of data and a lot of potential, but not much that I can give a specific answer for. But I would look at that volume. That's the, the closing point there. All right, let's knock out a few more emails here. And um, again, information that I hope is helpful to all of you. Hi, Chris, I just wanted to drop you a quick email. I've started listening to your podcast after hearing you on Rich's not an endurance athlete, but I'm training for my second ever half marathon this October in Birmingham, England. Awesome. So I'm just interested generally in any little bits of knowledge I can pick up that help me. I'm 44 years old, sits in an office all day, so struggle to do as much exercise as I would like. I generally do a long run on Saturday morning and anything else in the week is a bonus almost, although I've been trying to do two shorter runs. So let me interrupt this right here. On the one hand, it's great that you're doing a longer run on a Saturday morning, but those 30-minute runs during the week, early in the morning, late in the evening, on your way home, stopping and going for a 30-minute run, lunchtime 30-minute run, mid-afternoon coffee break, and instead replacing that with a 30-minute run, doing that multiple days in a row, three, let's say. So example, taking Monday off from the weekend of running, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, doing 30-minute short runs, and then Friday off and prep for the weekend, that already is a huge step forward. And I would not overlook the ability to do short runs multiple times a week. And I will challenge anybody, and I know I'm not in everybody's shoes, that you can find time for 30 minutes of steady running three times a week. So, um, and then those long runs, you want to be careful to not make them too long to sort of make up for the week of training that you feel, lack of a better term here, guilty that you did very little. So that will cause shin splints or plantar issues or other little niggles and injuries if we do too much on the weekend. So just wanted to interrupt that part there. On my longer runs, up to 10 to 11 miles, this is long for me, which is good. Um, I would alternate um, one weekend of eight and the next weekend of 10, the following weekend of 12, and then go back to eight, but make the eight feel better, stronger, fatter, smarter, faster, smarter, fitter, blah, blah, blah. Um, my average heart rate is approximately 155 to 160. Okay, with my speed just under 10 minute miles, would zone two training be your first thing to work on? Yes. <laughs> zone two training is always the thing I personally, as my coaching philosophy goes, would be the first thing to work on, even for somebody who only lets us a total of four hours a week in time. Zone true 2 training allows you to um, 
do the repetitive Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. Because if that 10 to 11 miles on Saturday creates too much fatigue and achiness and joint pain and things like that, or just wanting to sleep in on Sunday morning, well, then that's not beneficial because you want to follow up that 10 to 11 miles with three to four to five miles the next day on the somewhat tired legs in order to build up your running economy and the efficiency and motion that on tired legs, tireder legs, you actually go out and run again. So um, zone two being easier and lighter and less um, taxing on the body allows you to hopefully get up the next day and do it again and again and again. And also, it's a lot more um, beneficial for the heart and the body and the joints and so forth to see your, your pace come down at your low heart rate versus trying to see your um, pace come up at the high heart rate or in other words, also looking to hold a higher pace and watching the heart rate come down. That is a long game to play to wait for that to happen because the efficiency never comes in. The economy of motion takes longer to develop there. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not saying that 155 to 160 heart rate for you is incorrect. And I'm not knowing how easy easy is for you. Um, because 10 minute miles, it is what it is. That's fine. We all start somewhere. Um, but I would find a pace, like I was saying earlier to a question, your go all day pace, the one that when you finish a 10 to 11 mile run, you feel at this pace, I could actually keep going. That's basically your zone two aerobic pace, right? Doesn't necessarily need to be super easy that you're walking. But that when you finish your longer run, you feel like you can keep going for that same amount again. So to put that into real numbers, for those of you that don't have testing or, or want to use a zone to approach, a good sense of easy is if you go out for an 8 to 10 mile run and you find a pace that you say when you're finishing that 8 to 10 miles, I can continue on for 8 more miles that's a good heart rate and zone two pace to use as your aerobic go all day pace. Then tempo, uh, zone three, should be something that feels challenging, but that you could hold for about an hour. No, not that you crumble and fall apart and lay down in the grass after that hour, but that you feel quite worked after an hour but it's a pace you can hold steady for an hour and then go about your day having the sensation of, oh, I feel that run this morning, but it didn't completely ruin me. And then threshold, tempo, uh, not tempo, threshold, zone four, that should be really challenging. That should be questionably unsustainable. You should be running along after, you know, 10 minutes going, I'm not sure how much longer I can hold this pace, but this is a pretty solid effort right now. Um, that's a good idea of your threshold zone four. So you want to differentiate quite clearly. And if you sort of do this litmus test that I was just describing, you'll see that those heart rates and those paces are significantly far apart of 
my go all day pace, I can double this run. My this is about all I can do for an hour and later in the day I still feel that run. It was a solid effort. It felt like a good workout. That's a good zone three tempo. And then that barely hanging on zone four threshold, I'm not sure this is sustainable. It's an unsustainable pace for more than 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, I found that when I try that, I have to keep walking for short spells to keep my heart rate under 130. Is that normal? I think my max heart rate is about 180. Again, so use the gauge that I just gave you or do the field testing that I've talked about. Five times one mile with one minute rest at, um, at that unsustainable threshold pace where it's basically 90 to 95% effort or 10K best effort type of feel pace and then use the heart rates and the paces from that to determine zone four. And if you need help with that, send me that data and I will give you and send you your zones. I would be grateful for any tips you could pass on. So hopefully I answered most of that. Maybe you could do a few, uh, do a show focusing on training for shorter events like half or full marathons, which people may be able to relate to. Though I appreciate this may not be your target audience. Yeah, I mean, half and maybe I'll, I'll do something like that. Um, half and full marathon training, what the difference really is. Um, I'll, I'll take note of that. So, um, which is it, it, totally valid. And what I like about half and full marathons, but mainly a half marathon, it sort of gives us our first training insights and consistency towards what we might recognize as being our ability to do something scary, longer, challenging on the outer boundary of we, what we felt was possible. Um, it gives us that first early taste into endurance training and understanding moving our body over terrain for a significant amount of time and feeling fitter and just doing training five out of seven days a week and so forth. So um, yeah, I will, I will surely do that. All right, I'm going to go into the final email of the day. I still have one, two, three, four, five, like 10 more to go. But um, again, we'll, we'll keep going on this. And, uh, you know, these are the types of questions that are clearly out there. And I feel they benefit everybody. So all right. Uh, I hope this finds you well. I recently heard you on the Ritual podcast and thought you had a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Some of which I hope to tap into. I'm 36 and an active person. I love running and do it often, but have been plagued by excruciating shin splints in both legs. I assume I'm doing too much of a workload, even though my longest runs were only five to six miles. I was running five, six days a week with longer training runs on Saturdays. It is to the point now where I can't even finish a mile without having to stop and walk. I've tried resting, ice, foam rolling, dynamic warm-up, stretching, anti-inflammatories, watching too many YouTube videos, and nothing has worked. Now, this is a hard um, um, uh, tidbit of information to sort of pull too much from, but I can only share what I would recommend if you were one of my athletes or newer. So, and I think you all know that. But one, I would question what type of surface you're running on. I would um, 
want you to surely get off pavement, get off of any type of treadmill and run on softer surface. Um, if this is important to you, we would want to build up the lower limbs and leg muscles so that they can withstand someday again running on pavement. Now, some of you might be saying, what do you mean treadmill? That's a softer surface. As I've discussed before on the podcast, I'm not a fan of treadmills too much, occasionally, once a week, maybe twice a week, um, because the pounding of the foot on the surface is the exact same position over and over again, and that's repetitive um, placement injury that I worry about there. So that's the first thing. I would also say <clears throat> make sure that those shoes have been calibrated, for lack of a better description, to you. Do you have zero drop? Do you have um, a lot of cushioning? Do you Have you tried the super cushioned mattress on your feet type of hokas? Are you running um, in very little cushioning because of the um, confusion that Born to Run has created for most people with regards to running shoes and running motion and running form? <laughs> Um, and I'm not saying it's incorrect with Born to Run, but it's created a lot of confusion that need leaves a lot of room for clarification, I should say. Um, so I would wonder that. I would also wonder what these training runs are six to seven days a week uh, with a longer training run on the weekend. So it's hard to know exactly why, but I would focus for sure on resetting from the beginning. And that is taking some time off, letting that inflammation that that body is, your body is telling you is creating an issue, and then gradually re-engaging after the inflammation is gone so that you're not taking any anti-inflammatories. Um, some of this could be include once you are ready, if you live anywhere near a beach, to walk in sand for a while to really strengthen the ankle and the shins and the shin muscles and the Achilles and calf and all that around there. Um, shin splints can come on from a variety of ways. I would look at your running form, at how your foot is landing on the ground. Um, if you're a heel striker, if you're too much on the front of your foot, combined with those shoes. Make sure you're switching out those shoes. Make sure you know which shoes you need. I would also run on grass for a while. Build up my running legs and my running tolerances ever so gradually by running on grass, softer surface. Those you can use your thinner zero drop or less drop shoes on because it's grass and it's forgiving. Um, I would continue with those hikes or those walks on the beach if you have access to it. Again, to continue twice a week to really strengthen all the foot muscles and toe muscles and plantar and muscles around it um, laterally as well as vertically. Then um, I would also not run that frequently in the beginning, stay away from pavement and gradually build up my volume from there. Um, and again, if it's coming about, I would also start thinking about some sort of uh, running strength training with regards to, uh, I would do jump roping. Jump roping, I feel, is a huge um, tool, advantageous tool for runners. Keeps us light on our feet, keeps us tapping away, keeps that um, ankle bounce and that push-off going, but it's light. Um, no, we're not fully landing each 
jump rope landing, but just like boxers do with that tap, 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 really light on the feet, really fast, and then single foot and so forth, again, to strengthen that. Um, for a variety of my athletes that currently have plantar and Achilles issues, um, once they're back from their recovery from that, I am definitely re-engaging more jump rope activity for all of my athletes because I've gotten away from it, mainly because I've forgotten. And uh, I've started jump roping again as well in order to prepare myself for a variety of different events running, as you all know, but also just because it's a great activity to engage with your running form and motion and landing and foot placement while watching TV, finishing up a core or strength session while, you know, just resetting and, and re-engaging the entire chassis from your feet all the way to your shoulders and your neck because you're using your arms and all kinds of uh, um, integrity aspects of keeping engaged and so forth. So I'm not sure I've answered all your questions here because it's hard without all that, but resting is a good start. Ice and foam rolling, it's hard to say. It's a question of what's causing the injury to continue to come about. And so therefore, I would look at the factors that I talked about. Stretching is dangerous if it's not the right stretches or done at the right time. So be smart with that. Anti-inflammatories, I'm never much of a fan of. That means we're trying to mask and ignore the pain, which often makes it worse, a tear, a bigger issue. So um, I hope that helps. But to recap, look at your surface, look at your running form, and look at your shoes. <clears throat> Once we've reset from that and have a better idea from that, then I would look into after the rest and letting the, the pain and the inflammation go away, gradually, ever so gradually rebuilding. That might start with two runs a week of maybe 20 minutes, and then then following weeks, gradually building up the running volume and time so that your body, your feet, and those shins, and the Achilles, and the plantar, and everything around that support musculature um, is tracking right and can handle the pounding of that. And then again, surface being grass and dirt and sand for now versus pavement, asphalt, treadmill, etc. So I hope that helps. All right, we'll close out this week's podcast. I don't want to make it too long. And again, I take a look at the length here and we're an hour and 34 minutes. But I did want to close out with reminding everybody, not reminding, I hinted at this uh, newsletter that I'm going to start doing as of October 1 next week to the podcast listeners. And I will send that to about... Uh, many uh, 20, 15 years of coaching, past coaching clients and coaching clients, current coaching clients, because they have been part of my email list in the past. Um, and if you would like to be on this email list, um, please send me your email and I will add you to this list. Send me an email at chris at aimcoaching.com and that way I can add you to the newsletter. The newsletter will be exclusive to my athletes and podcast listeners. I'm not going to post it on a blog. I'm not going to um, um, post it on my website and so forth. And um, it's going to be hopefully helpful material. What will it include? It's going to be um, 
sort of a, uh, well, first of all, it's going to be an occasional newsletter. I'm not committing to it being weekly, but I would like to be it about uh, three, four times a month. Yes, I'm not going to clog up your email with a bunch of um, noise, but I'm going to have some nutrition advice in there from Emily, um, have her write a little paragraph um, whenever I send out a, a newsletter. I'm going to have some sponsor updates and exclusive offers there um, that from uh, those who support the Weekly Word podcast and support me and the coaching. So there's a variety of offers and discounts in there. I'm going to have some updates from AIMP athletes around the world and what they're doing. But within that, um, there's a topic called Another Cool Race Idea. And every week I receive so many cool race ideas from my athletes all around the world. And they'll send me these cool updates of, or these insights or these links of, I'm thinking about signing up for this. And then I take a look at it and it's like, oh my gosh, that is look gorgeous. And that looks so cool or that's so unique or what a cool adventure. And I've had a lot of athletes over the years ask me, well, what should I do next? Or I'm looking for a great idea for this and so forth. And so, I thought I'd put that in to the newsletter, another cool race idea, I would call it. Um, these are often in beautiful locations in some of the most unique corners of the world. And while I enjoy researching them for the, my athletes, um, it also creates a sense of excitement and curiosity in me as well that I want to do them. So I thought I'd share that. I'm going to put in um, to that newsletter my uh, sort of the workout of the week or a favorite workout that could be swim, bike, run, long run, strength, core, cross training, crossfit, even different sports like hiking, climbing, rucking, rowing, um, all kinds of stuff like that, vertical mile and things like that. Um, there's so many things I come across each week when it comes to training and workouts and reading other material that, um, again, a favorite workout would be fun to share. I thought I'd share like a quote that resonated this week, sort of a, or a book I'm reading or a link or a page or something that I thought was really interesting and that I came across. So yeah, basically those few things. So not a lot, some, um, AIMP coaching updates from athletes and results and my own training updates, my favorite workouts, cool race ideas, some cool quotes and reading ideas, and then, um, you know, some nutrition advice and some uh, sponsor input. So short, brief, to the point, maybe some occasional other little tidbits in there. But again, everything that's meant to be helpful and move you forward with training and motivation and health and growth and fitness and personal insights and so forth. And if the newsletter helps with that, again, it's just another way to hopefully connect with all of you on, um, on all of us together, moving as a group forward to not only becoming healthier in, healthier in body, but also in mind and spirit as we sort of navigate our ultra endurance selves through our every day and our every week and every month and every season. So I hope that is something that you guys enjoy. And again, send me an email if you want to be on that newsletter list. It'll be called The Weekly Word. <laughs> Can you imagine? So, all right, everybody, have a great week. Um, 
This is a week that there might be a few podcasts coming out just because um, I'm going through all these questions. And then, um, yeah, the preseason, 2019 preseason is coming October 1 next week. I already have a variety of athletes that are going to be starting on October 1 with their preseason work. We're going to work on some core and stability at first to create the platform. Then we're going to integrate some strength and some sports-specific strength into that. Then build up the endurance and the, um, um, the, the not just endurance, but also the capacity to maintain the strength while incorporating the three disciplines of swim, bike, run into that platform. And then, you know, quick before you know it, it's going to be January and we're going to be getting ready for our coast ride um, down the coast. The highways are open, San Francisco to San, uh, to L.A. in uh, mid-January. That's uh, always a fun occurrence. And that'll be part of things that I announce on the newsletter and on this podcast. And then the season will quickly start coming around. We'll have that training camp in April again. Yeah, things are moving quickly now. So... All right, have a great week, and uh, I'll talk to you soon.